0: Welcome to the Light Shine Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Organizing Pastor Rob Douglas, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen to our weekly message. Well, this morning, we shift gears from our summer series and move into a Back into a journey through the Bible that we're uh, going through, through the narrative lectionary. And we're starting, as you see from our call to worship that Pastor Jennifer read right at the very beginning from Genesis chapter one. When I saw that this was the text that came up for the lectionary uh, and I read it, I immediately thought of this article that was later expanded into a book, and the book was called Change or Die. And the central thesis of the article that was later turned into a book was both profound and more than a little bit disturbing. If given a choice between life and death, most people, including leaders, choose death if living requires substantive change, even if they have a pathway to life. Even if they have resources for life, even if they have the choice to live, people still choose death rather than making the necessary changes. The author cited some 600,000 patients who underwent heart bypass surgery in a particular year. Most were said to be able to make a full recovery, but 90%, nine zero, nine zero of those surveyed post-surgery said that they had not made one change to their eating or their exercise habits. 90%. These 90%, the author says, were choosing to die when they didn't have to. The burning question for us this morning is, are we willing to make the necessary changes for life? Will you join me in a word of prayer? God, you formed us from the dust of the earth. You breathed into us the breath of life. And so we approach your word with the posture of humility. By the same spirit that hovered over the waters of creation, lead us, teach us, guide us to know you, ourselves, and each other more fully. Amen. Here's the conclusion of our reading for today that Pastor Jennifer started. This is from Genesis 1:28 to 2, 4. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all their multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that God had done, and God rested on the seventh day from all the work. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it, God rested from all the work that God had done in creation." These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, the opening words of Genesis have prompted heated debate and discussion both inside and outside the church. Creationism, evolution, intelligent design, big bangs. Historically, Christians have felt threatened by science. And The rational human mind and ego loves to create either or situations, creating false binaries. In our quest to be theologically correct, we fight over whether the creation story is literal, historical, metaphorical, poetic. Genesis doesn't understand our contemporary battles and I happen to believe that science is our friend. And can actually help us understand the world that God created better. Those images that Pastor Jennifer used in the call to worship, I find those inspiring. And some of us might remember that Eric Lindroth this summer used a similar image saying that that image of the earth from outer space was actually one that inspired and sparked the environmental movement. Well, Genesis 1 really isn't concerned with how God created everything that is. The how, of course, is shrouded in mystery, and maybe modern science can actually help us understand some of the how questions that we might bring to the text. The more science reveals about the way the world works, the more in awe I personally become about the God who made it that way. Well, the creation story is very concerned with answering two important questions. Who created everything? And why was it created in the first place? I want us to sit under this story, to learn from it, because like any great story, it seeks to teach us not only what happened a long time ago, but what continues to happen in the here and now. Well, this chapter isn't just about human beginnings. You heard it. It's an account of the whole world. And our hope is that we humans may well find our place within the whole. The writer of Genesis intended to settle the big metaphysical question of what was the first cause? Where did the world come from? Where did we come from? Well, the writer disposes of those questions right away in the very first line of the Hebrew Bible, in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth. Well, Christians affirm that the heavens, the earth, the high, the low, it's all a creation of one God. There's only one God who's powerful and sovereign over everything. God breathes and speaks and creation happens. So with this important question settled, the writer can move on to more urgent human concerns, the why questions. What are we here for? (laughs) How might we live well? This is an important question for this writer. And so here's what the six days of creation, it follows a pattern that looks like this. First, there's an introduction to every day and God said, then there's a command, let there be something. There's a result, and there was that which God spoke. Then there's an evaluation. God says that it, is, it was good. There's a time frame. There was evening, and there was morning, whichever day we're looking at. Fascinatingly, on the sixth day, the pattern actually shifts a little bit. Let there be shifts to let us make, and the evaluation shifts from good to very good. This is, of course, extremely important. The writer is stressing the significance of the final day of creation. Why? Because we humans are the pinnacle, the high point of this creation story. At the creation of the male and female human being, the creation is called very good, and after this, God who's exhausted can finally get some rest on the seventh day. Creation is this bringing order out of chaos through these acts of separation, division, distinction. And this work that God did was in some ways hierarchical. Living things are higher than the non-living things by virtue that they're given freedom, powers of awareness, and of course, vulnerability. And among the living things, some are more fully developed than others, with human beings clearly standing at the pinnacle. Once the humans were created, God called the whole creation, which this is very important, very good. The Hebrew here means complete or lacking in nothing. So we humans seem to complete God's act of creating. This statement is both true and more than a little problematic. Whole volumes have been written on what it means to bear God's image. And I've got about one minute to say one thing about it. The Hebrew word translated as image comes from a root word meaning to chisel or to cut off. And so any image both is and is not the thing it resembles. Okay, here's a picture of our family. I wanna highlight Corinne and Madison. This picture of them is an image of them. It's not really them, but the image resembles or is dependent for its very being on two people, their parents, me and Katie. When we see an image of Corinne and Madison, it points to Katie and Rob. They're an image of their parents and thank God, and I think they're listening. (laughs) They'll be happy about this. They're more of an image of their mother than their father. Well, the human being is created in the image of the divine. In our lives, we point to our divine parent who's ultimately responsible for our existence. This idea helps us understand that why question, why were we created In the first place? And the answer, of course, is that we were made for relationship, not only relationship with God, but also relationship with the whole of God's creation. But the fine print of Genesis is troubling. It warns us that the human animal is by far the most problematic because we are merely a chiseled image of the creator but we are not god that of course hasn't stopped many people from trying that's the story of genesis 2 with adam and eve in the garden of eden more than any other animal less than god created for relationship with the divine we are the bible's biggest problem because we are endowed with the freedom to choose and to live into our god design, but also free to reject it. God then looked at the end there at the totality of all that God had made and in its totality called it very good. This is important. To be good in the sense that Genesis is using the word means to fit and function in relation to the whole. This is the key to probably understanding what I am going to say for the rest of this message. When we are at our best, we are in right relationship with the earth, with the plants, with the animals, with each other, and with God. That's when we are called good. So whether or not we're good depends on our faithfulness to the Creator. To live well, to live into the good, we will have to live out the intentions of our creator. And so Genesis 1 gives us some clues as to how to live well. God endowed us with freedom and the authority over the things that God created. But that freedom is tempered by responsibility. In our highly politically charged environment today, we are so needing that statement. We're forgetting that with freedom comes responsibility. Biblically speaking, we are our brother's keeper and our sister's keeper and the earth's keeper. (laughs) The word for dominion that Genesis translates, that's our English word that we uh, have over the creation It's actually a pastoral term, a shepherding word. The great Walter Brueggemann reminds us that dominion in the biblical sense is that of a shepherd who loves, cares for, and tends the sheep under her care. Dominion is never exploitation and abuse. And yet that is exactly what we have done. And often even in the name of God, which is crazy, destroying the very thing that we've been charged to care for. We were placed in charge of this garden that we call the earth in order to ensure that it flourishes according to God's purpose. This is not an add-on. It's not an extra. It's not something that's only for environmentalists it's actually the first God-given vocation of all human beings. Adam and Eve were given the job of tilling, the scripture says. The Hebrew word meaning to serve the land or to preserve the land for future generations. So human beings are interestingly not in a position over creation, but rather in a position under it, indebted to it, in service of it and this we know we see all over our new testament that jesus taught us over and over again that the one who rules is the one who serves in shay's language the helper <laughs> is perfect to understand that right here this, of course, has to be a guiding principle for us. Are we living well as God intended? Well, this summer, we spent 10 weeks on our Christian responsibility to care for God's creation. And since we finished that series, the UN has published its landmark 4,000-page report that summarized over 14,000 scientific studies on the current state of of the global climate crisis. Now, I read a few pages of those 14,000 and a number of summaries. And one thing that stood out to me about this report was the use of the word unequivocal, which scientists almost never use because it's such a strong word. And yet there it was front and center in this report. And it was used to describe the now undeniable and scientifically proven fact that we humans are the leading cause of the accelerating pace of global warming. The report warned that our current time is, quote, code red for humanity. But in a strange sort of way, in reading the summaries of this report, I actually was able to uh, take like a nice shot of hope in it. The hope here is that if we're the leading cause of the problem, then we might just be able to provide a solution. And the solution is found in Genesis chapter one in living into our God given vocation to ensure for the flourishing and the preservation of all that God has made. Code red for humanity though needs, means that we need to change now. And as you might remember from my opening illustration about the 90% of people who refuse to make one change to their diet and exercise, we know that this is a tall order. We don't like to change and to be honest, The church is very slow to change, but we need to live into our God-given vocation to ensure the flourishing of God's creation. The church, you and me, we need to be leaders in this change. We need to be sounding the alarm bells and making substantive changes that work for the flourishing of this planet. The UN report says that even if we were to cut fossil fuels to zero today, temperatures and sea levels will continue to rise for a few more decades. But this was something that I learned from it. Perhaps after another couple of decades with good choices made to change today, those might stabilize. We humans are endowed with God-given agency We can use our freedom and our authority not just to secure our own well-being, but to live into our identity as God's people. It starts with us. We can make personal and policy changes that help us better live into the partnership that God has formed with us as caretakers, as stewards of all that God has made. For me, when I read this report, I came to the conclusion that it's not time yet for despair. It's not the time for throwing in the towel. Like Shay said, look for the helpers. That's where the hope is. Maybe we are a little bit of that hope as helpers. It's code red for humanity time. That much is for sure. It's time to act boldly. It's time to act well. It's time to work for the flourishing of all things. It's time to preserve the land for future generations, both individually and collectively before it's too late. So friends, it may be code red for humanity time, but that means that we will need to make some changes. We'll need to choose to live well. And to live well is to fit into the whole by living into the design that God has for us as stewards of all the things that God has made. Amen.